1: and welcome to growing up with Dr. Sarah. I have the honor today of having my guest, Jessica Proscini, who is the founder and leader of Escape from Emotional Eating. She has been helping women who strive for excellence get back in touch and stay in touch with themselves so that they can heal the roots of their emotional eating, master processing their emotions, and embody their full potential. Sounds amazing. Thank you, Jessica, for joining me today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. So tell us about yourself and your journey to create this program. Well, I'll I'll pick up where everything changed because it's
0: it's a long story. And I know we don't have that much time together. But once I got over the shock that I was indeed an emotional eater, even though I didn't have hundreds and hundreds of pounds to lose, even though I knew so much about food and fitness and nutrition, because at that time I had already had a certification in holistic health and integrative nutrition. And even though I had spent over 936 hours in therapy, and that never touched my relationship with food or my body. I really searched high and low for support to heal my emotional eating and heal my relationship with food. And at that time, I knew I couldn't just work with anyone because I was different. I I knew that just general health coaching was only going to touch the surface, and I was certified in health and wellness, Um, and I was already eating healthy and working out. I was already doing those things. So I knew that wasn't really a fit. And I also knew that uh, Overeaters Anonymous really wasn't the place for me. It just really didn't resonate with me. And I also knew that my issues with food weren't as severe to take me to something like an eating disorder clinic. So at that time, I just searched and I searched and I searched and I started to become very frustrated that the options that I was seeing were basically so scarce, they were non-existent. And I knew that I needed someone, something to help me get to the roots of what was going on in my my relationship with food. Um, And, and like I said, I just wasn't finding it anywhere. Um, So it was at that point, that was a real pivotal moment in my journey. It's what I call like a fork in the road kind of moment. No, no pun intended. (laughs) But I really saw very vividly, my future play out in, in two options. I saw that I literally had two options at that point. I could just throw my hands up and basically say, screw this and just learn to live with my emotional eating and just kind of like internalize this belief that my emotional eating was my cross to bear. It would be something I would always have kind of like this addiction, or I saw this like second option that I could refuse to settle. And then at that point, I I literally remember this so vividly is I saw each option play out on the movie screen of my mind. Like option one, if I just basically resign and say, screw this and just keep on keeping on. As an emotional eater, I literally saw myself get older, my health become more complicated, my life become more overwhelming, and I literally saw myself living in like a secret hell. And then option two, that refusing to settle, I kind of just, I didn't have all the pieces, but I just really felt this sense of lightness and possibility and hope. And it was at that point that I really had to weigh those two options of what am I going to commit to? And I remember it so vividly, because what happened next literally changed everything in the entire trajectory of my life. But I remember choosing option two, of refusing to settle. And I remember saying to myself that, finding a way out of my emotional eating like even if I die trying it's going to be worth it and what I didn't realize then that I that I now know you know fast forward 12 years that I've been doing this work is that I not only was going to find a way to heal my emotional eating but I was also going to create it And that's really where the start of what is now Escape from Emotional Eating and my year-long programs with my clients, that's where it all started, is in that choice point of refusing to settle. And then really just committing myself to investigating every single nook and cranny and pairing my personal experience with my professional training and background And just filling in so many holes and identifying patterns. And that's that's really what brought me to my work today. Because when I was looking for support, I didn't fit into these extremes. Like I said, like I didn't have hundreds of pounds to lose. I was a high-achieving, high-striving woman, like I just I couldn't find where I fit in and where was the support for me, because like I said, I didn't have a really extreme eating disorder yet. So so that's really what brought me to escape from emotional eating and its creation and all that it is today.
1: That's an amazing story, and I appreciate you sharing that with us, because I would imagine there were some challenges then when you took that fork in the road down the path to making the changes that you knew you needed to personally, but also being brave enough to say, I'm ready to help others in this area as well.
0: Yeah. Now, that second piece of helping others didn't come till much, much, much later, my kind of entrance into all of this was really, I got to figure myself out. And it wasn't until I really started to have some traction and have some results and experience some relief that people um, started coming up to me, like people that I knew, of course, started saying like, like, what are you doing? You look so different. You look so happy. You seem so light. Like, what's going on in your life. Um, and that's honestly how I got one of my first emotional eating clients um, was from literally walking my walk.
1: It's it's like that old saying people, I mean, it's not, well, we've been saying it a lot, but it's like putting that oxygen mask on first before you help others and really being relatable because it's something that you did experience yourself versus just learning through education. So you learn through education, you learn through through experience. And I would imagine, too, some of the challenges could have been, and maybe not, please let me know how you feel, but Sometimes people will also, I guess not criticize for lack of a better term, but say, hey, like you've got, you've got it going on, you, you know, you've got a great career, you look amazing, like, what's wrong, you know, and and then you start to feel guilty for feeling the way that you do, you know, so there's that piece about the emotional eating. But then there's also that piece about, well, you're so blessed and, and like, you've got this great career and great family, et cetera. You know, how can you, you know, feel, you know, feel that way. And, and even if no one says that to you, I think individually we, we go through that, right. We feel bad about the feelings that we have internally. And so how did you manage getting over that hurdle?
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because Kind of bringing other people into my experience was always a challenge. You know, I would try to tell my friends, the, you know, like about what I had eaten the night before and how like guilty and ashamed I felt and literally how physically sick I would be. Like I had have the worst gas and the worst indigestion and they would really just brush me off and be like, oh, Jessica, everybody does that or or they would you know, kind of rope me into doing another workout class with them and try to like exercise off what I had overeaten the night before. Um, And now looking back, I don't fault them for that because I really see how miseducated we are as a culture, as a society. I would even go as far to say as, as a health industry of what emotional eating is what it isn't and and really how serious the compulsive pattern of using food to not feel our feelings or using food to cope and how self-destructive that can really be Um, and this is really why i love working with high achievers and women who strive for excellence because we are those people who people would be like, you are the last person I would think has issues with food, or you are the last person that I feel like would have self-destructive coping mechanisms because on the outside, we look like we have it all together, but on the inside, it's a totally different story. So, I I think even in my process of my journey and I would tell people and they just wouldn't like understand me. And even, even I remember my now husband, I remember trying to talk to him about it and um, he would just be like, Oh, but you know, I love you no matter what. And it's like, thank you. And also like don't positively gaslight me. You know, <laughs> like don't like brush me off like I'm struggling, but I also knew in the back of my mind that I don't have this full-blown eating disorder either. I was kind of in this gray area. So for me, I really had to trust my gut and really come from this place of I literally have gone to the ends of the earth to try to find what I need and I'm not finding it. And my like internal gut, my intuition was just like, you are not meant to live with this forever. And what you're doing with food is not normal. It's not healthy. And you literally can't keep doing this. So I think even as I hit all those stop signs and misunderstandings in my outer world, there was this inner like drive of like, yeah, I know you're telling me to brush it off, but it's to the point where I can't anymore, or I'm not willing to. And that was really what led me ultimately to my own choice point of, do I take in what people are saying and just brush it off? Can I be at peace with that? Or do I continue to search and find answers and and trust the belief in my heart that there has to be a different way? Um, and ultimately, it you know I chose the path of change and hope and possibility and and now I can step back and say I'm proof. You know I'm proof of what's possible. I'm proof that freedom from compulsive eating and overeating is possible that we can live a happy, fulfilled life. And if you want me to tell you more about that, I can. <laughs> and, and I've made that my job.
1: <laughs> how would you describe for us what exactly is emotional eating? Because I know you said, even in the health industry, and I agree with you, I think that I have learned over my career that it's just—it's not just about the medical aspect of how we heal and help people But we have to know, we we have to remind ourselves that there's a mind-body connection. And so how how would you define emotional eating, Jessica?
0: So I just want to preface this by saying that emotional eating is on a spectrum. So even though I'm going to give what is or seems to be a very black and white answer to that question, it's not as black and white as it may seem. So the black and white answer is that emotional eating is using food for a purpose other than physical nourishment. So then all of the dietitians and nutritionists get all about that definition by saying, but we're emotional beings and... You know, we deserve to have a pleasurable experience with food. And yes, I am fully with you in that camp that we are not meant to be eating cardboard. We are meant to be eating and enjoying and feeling fulfilled from our eating experiences. But where it crosses a line is when we are overriding our physical bodies For example, if we know that we are full or we are satiated and we just keep eating because fill in the blank, or if we are reaching for food because we feel trapped and are looking to quote unquote escape, or if we are feeling something and we're like, I don't want to feel this way and therefore using food as a way to try to change what we're feeling. Those are just some examples of how emotional eating can show up. For high achievers and um, those of us who strive for excellence, it'll usually show up at the end of the day after a long, stressful day. And one cookie, or even if it's a gluten-free, dairy-free, low glycemic cookie, you know, um, it starts with one and then our hand is through the bag and like in a matter of seconds. And we're like, who ate all my food and what's going on and where did I go? And (laughs) so, so again, it's not black and white, but I like to say that the people that I work with already know that they're emotionally eating. They're just kind of vacillating in the, shouldn't I be able to figure this out on my own? And don't I just need to eat healthier and work out more? And it really doesn't have anything to do
1: with that. And so do you think that that's how your program is different? You know, then, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a Supporter of life coaching and health coaching and, of course, nutritional referrals. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, too, about even teaching families how to help their children have a good relationship with food. I just had a conversation with a mom and dad the other day because they're concerned about how their eight-year-old eats, And by what I mean is they said he just doesn't seem interested in eating. And so I was trying to explain to them, well, you know, some people live to eat and others eat to live. You've probably heard that before. And it really doesn't have to be like that. And I try really hard to help them understand that even at a young age, kids know when they're hungry and when they're full as babies. We're born to know that. And somewhere along the way, we've, not everybody, but somewhere along the way, some of us have lost that, have, you know, gone out of the lines of that. And I, I agree with you. It's, it is a spectrum and everybody's situation is a little bit different, but tell us about the program and how it's different than other coaching.
0: Yeah. So there's a few things that make my program different. Number one is that I've literally walked this journey. I've been in my client's shoes. So we have a lot in common and I can draw from being in that place and and literally being in their shoes where a lot of other emotional eating support out there is very clinical. In other words, the person who is, supporting the client or the patient can't relate to what's going on. And they'll eventually reach this point of like, just get it together kind of like a, what is wrong with you kind of perspective. But for me, because I've walked through it and I've been through it and I've lived it and I've breathed it, I bring that first and foremost to my work with my clients. Then from there, Yes, I do have professional training and experience in this. And that is what um, really started my research into emotional eating. And from that research is really highlighted and identified the four roots of emotional eating. So in my work with my clients, which you won't find anywhere else, is that I'm able to take an eating experience of theirs and drill it down to one or a combination of four roots. So, for example, one of the four roots of emotional eating is hypervigilance. And this shows up a lot for uh, high performers who feel like they have to go, 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 do, do, do. We're just always on. And then using food as a way to try to downshift. So the four roots of emotional eating are a large part of my work and my programming. And when I started to introduce them to my clients, everything just expedited, where it might've taken longer in the past before the four roots, it was like people were getting results and finding freedom in half the time. So that's really what makes my work and my programs different, is really getting down to those core issues and untangling from there. Um, Yeah, so I would say it's both my personal experience and that professional research together that makes it different. I would also say that my work is different than therapy in the sense that we're not here to just talk about feelings my clients come to me for accountability and to put specific actions in place and have that follow up and say okay well what happened what was followed through on what did you struggle with what's standing in your way okay here are your next focused actions let's regroup at our next session and have that accountability so one foot is going in front of the other and it's not just an hour of talking and then leaving the office and feeling like, uh, well, I am I still want to eat. So what is this doing for me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Would you be willing to share the other three roots? Because I think it's important, and this was one of the questions I was going to ask as well, is how does someone identify that they're a right fit for your program?
0: Yeah, so... The first part of the question about the roots, I actually have a quiz on my website. You can go to innerwork.me and take the quiz to help you identify which of the four roots is currently activated for you. So it's innerwork.me. The assessment is right there. It'll give you your results and it'll also give you a beginner's guide to get started with okay, now that I know my root, for example, is self-loathing, how do I actually start to work to transform it? So um, so the other four roots or the four roots in general are hypervigilance, fear, self-loathing, and self-abnegation. And I can go more deeply into those if you want to, um, but the assessment and the guide and the resources is just really a great next step for anyone who's looking to, to really escape the conversation of eat this, not that and really get down
1: to why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. The why? Because I and I, I've shared with you when we were first talking about recording this podcast, that I really do identify myself as an emotional eater. And I, and for me, it's about buffering. It's about not feeling the feelings, you know, like you mentioned, instead of feeling our feelings, we're going to fill it. That's kind of how I have been, you know, for most of my life. Some of it stems from my cultural background because I had a chance to read your website and I I definitely want you to share that with everybody because there's a lot of information there, not just about the program, but also some information and resources like you mentioned that I think would benefit others. But it's interesting because I remember as a little girl, we would have breakfast at grandma's, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as we cleaned up for breakfast, we were talking about what are we eating for lunch? And then when lunch was over, it was about what are we eating for dinner? And my nationality is Armenian. And uh, my husband now, and again, he's he's amazing, but he'll, I'll say something like, well, where are we having breakfast tomorrow? Whatever. And he's like, there's that Armenian in you, you know, <laughs> thinking about it. And it is fun and we can laugh, but you're absolutely right. it It's It's not just, it doesn't have to be a cross that you bear. It doesn't have to be a label that we give ourselves that, you know, this is just who I am and I'm trying to deal with it. Because as you mentioned, there are medical as well as mental complications and consequences that can happen down that road. Like you saw yourself and envisioned what could be if you just, you know, said, accepted and of course we want everybody to accept who they are and and this or you know and and their body image and self-image and we're not really talking about that we're talking about the emotions that we we put up and for me again it's buffering it's filling that feeding my feelings instead of really feeling them and um and getting to that root cause like you mentioned
0: Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought forward the family element because this was a large part of my healing journey. I am, I'm Italian. If you didn't know from my last name, um, but where it was like spaghetti Sundays, spaghetti and meatballs every Sunday, you know, food really was such a central part. It still is a central part of our family gatherings. Um, and what I saw was as I started to untangle my relationship with food, how I literally saw how my parents were also emotional eaters, and then even tracing it back to their parents. While I can't necessarily speak for my grandparents, I do know that alcoholism ran in my my grandparents' generation, and there were so many other ways that my family, and literally going back generations, had unhealthy numbing patterns, ways that they would buffer. Um, And I feel, to some extent, really blessed and privileged that in, in my lifetime that I could say that, you know, this stops here, that we are no longer going to pass this down. Um, And I do have a program specifically called Mothers, Daughters, and Food because Uh the mother-daughter food relationship is so complicated. And as you were talking about, you know, the parents who are coming to you talking about their eight-year-old, while the the parents are looking at the eight-year-old saying, why isn't my kid interested in food, I want to even just turn the lens around and ask the parents, what's your relationship with food? How do you interact with it? Because you seeing your child as not interested, they could have a perfectly normal, healthy relationship with you with food. And for you, it's, there is like a little bit of compulsive patterns. So, so it's complicated when it comes to the family stuff and, um, going back to your earlier question of how do people know if my program is is a fit for them? You know, I think the first thing that a lot of people tell me is that a lot of what I say and what I share and even probably my personal journey and story really resonates with them. So that's like the first piece is like if we're resonating, then it just makes sense for us to explore things more. And then um, I do have a very unique and very in-depth discovery process for someone who is looking to see if one of my programs is a fit for them. Um, It's like I said, it is very in-depth. So while other health practitioners or health coaches may only meet with them for 15 minutes or a half hour to kind of get a feel we're spending at least an hour right from the get-go talking to each other and just really going in depth with their application. And so I can really just get an understanding of, can I help you? And then from there, after that, do we look at programs and what feels like a fit? So it really is a process, but a process that serves the ultimate goal so that when we do make a decision to work together, I'm all in and the client's all in. And there's so much acceleration that comes from that because we've done so much due diligence to just make sure it's a fit. And because again, from my own story, there were so many misaligned things that if I had just had the knowing that I could say like, wait, this doesn't fit for me, rather than go to a place of like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stick with this program? Now understanding like, oh, there are things out there that just are not right for me. They're just like a shoe that's not my size. So I think it's really important for everyone, whether it's, healing their emotional eating or finding a doctor that's right for them or a therapist or even a grocery store they like. There's so many resources out there. I think it's really important that, you know, we don't cut corners and we really do find the right aligned support because when we have that, it makes all the difference.
1: Yes, I would agree. It's funny, the first thing I thought of when you were saying finding a doctor or even grocery store, etc. I always try to encourage parents that are about to have a a baby to you know come and meet with me because I'd love to talk to you before the baby's born to make sure that it's a good fit. But it, it's amazing, you know, and th- we're all so busy. And so what I love about your intake for again um, process is that you're taking the time up front so that you're not wasting the time later. Right. Right. And and.
0: And I think there's also a greater sense of accountability. Um, you know, I've had a lot of clients say, you know, especially if they've hit some rough pieces of the journey, I've, in the end, I've had them say, you know, like, thank you so much for not giving up on me. Mm-hmm. And that's because I really look for that. Like, are we a right fit from the beginning? And I have... You know, I've done this for 12 years. I know really right from the get go if this is, if there's possibility and if there's not. And I've even cut conversation short and said, even within the first 10 minutes of like, you know what, I'm really not feeling like this is a place to start. Here are some resources or let me make some recommendations and, you know, keep me in the loop and feel free to circle around again. But you know i'm not afraid as well to say you know i have some red flags about us potentially working together um because i'm really when i'm in a relationship with my clients i'm really committed to them and i want to make sure it's a really great experience
1: yes and and you, you mentioned in the beginning We're not talking about psychiatry or eating disorders. And I'm not, I'm not, again, this is very, this lane is very important, just as important as those other lanes as well. But identifying which lane each person fits into is so important. Right. So taking those steps and escaping from that emotional eating, would you be willing to share some steps? I mean, I realize we could probably talk all afternoon about everything, but I'd love to leave our audience with some tools to think about moving forward.
0: Yeah. So I'll go through like a real quick uh, outline of, I'll say the first four steps, because there's there's so much more to this. Um, it's why my programs are a year long, because like we got a lot of work to do, <laughs> but I, I'll i go through a quick outline and then I want to give a tool that people can use the next time they're eating, which hopefully is somewhere within the next two to four hours of listening to this podcast. So the first step that I take um, with my clients is what I call building emotional fitness. So similarly to how you were so openly sharing how you use food to buffer. In this step, I teach my clients tools specifically designed for women who are operating at a really high functioning level, how to build a sense of emotional fitness so that food is not the only option for regulating their emotional bandwidth. These are tools that I've created called Digesting Emotions and the Fear Flesh, things like that. So they, if they're looking, if the choice is, do I eat or we give them the option of here's a healthier way to start to learn how to process and release and find relief from intense emotional or energetic experiences So that's the first step is building emotional fitness. Step number two is untangling physical hunger from emotional hunger. So many people don't realize that they have an emotional body and a physical body. And these bodies communicate in very different languages and also have very different needs. And for those of us who overeat, There's a lot of crossed wires. It's like we could feel hungry all the time. We could never feel hungry. It's just, there's just so much confusion (laughs) when it comes to hunger and even fullness. So in this part of the journey, we really do a lot of untangling. So you can really understand the language of your body, both physically and emotionally, and therefore serve your emotional needs rather than just stuffing yourself with food when you're not really hungry. Step three is what I call clearing out mental junk food. This is a lot of inner work when it comes to the conversations that we're having with ourselves for high achievers. This has a lot to do with just how hard we are on ourselves, how much we gaslight ourselves, how much we can say like, I'm angry, but I shouldn't be angry. I'm tired, but I shouldn't be tired. I'm fill in the blank, but I shouldn't be blank. So we do a lot of clearing out mental junk food because when we do, everything gets healthier when we have a healthier internal world. And then step four is getting down to the roots. Similar to what we were talking about earlier is, um, is really identifying which of the four roots is activated and diving into that to unhook from that. So I want to zero in on untangling physical and emotional hunger. So where I want to dive in, give a tangible tool to take away today is in the piece about untangling physical hunger and emotional hunger. And this is a tool that's very basic. So I understand for some people, you may already know this, and that's totally okay. Um, But I really encourage practice because we can't change our behavior if we aren't willing to practice. So the next time you go to eat... When you're in the eating experience, I invite you to imagine a scale of one to 10. 10 being, oh my gosh, I overate, I need to unbutton my pants and I need to go take a nap and not think about anything else but sleeping. That would be a 10. And periodically through the eating experience, I want you to just pause and check in with yourself and ask yourself, On the scale of 1 to 10, if 10 is I ate so much I need to unbutton my pants, where am I now? And even just checking in with yourself two or three times throughout that eating experience, especially as you're starting to get to the tail end of it, helps you reconnect with yourself. It doesn't really matter, especially in the beginning stages, what the answer is, The muscle we want to build is repairing the connection that you have with yourself, particularly when you're in an eating experience. So simply asking yourself and pausing literally for a second to locate yourself on that scale of 1 to 10 is, is enough for now. When we get into kind of more advanced levels, we want to start to aim around a seven. It's what I call eating for integrity. It's where you feel satiated, um, not stuffed, not like you need to go take a nap, not like your belly hurts. And you're also not restricting yourself. This is not about eating less. This is about hitting the mark where your body is telling you, I'm good. I've had enough. And knowing that as humans, we have to eat again. So it's not about getting or being afraid of having to eat again. It's about just graciously landing at that seven, moving on, and knowing in a few hours, we're going to repeat the process. So again, that tool is simply checking in with yourself the next time you're eating. Where are you on that scale of one to 10?
1: Receive the answer and then proceed as you choose. Thank you. That, you know, I've heard something similar to that, but not described in that way. So I'm so happy that you gave us some food for thought, like with the, you know, no pun intended, I should say. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jessica, for for joining me today. I, I literally have goosebumps just knowing that there are some people out there, like you said, that resonate with your story, with your experience. And um, how can they get in touch with you if if they want to learn more?
0: Yeah. So my home base is escape from emotionaleating.com. That's escapefromemotionaleating.com. In our conversation, I shared the Uh, assessment and special resource. So if you want to take that assessment, which I would love to even know, you know, feel free in the comments of these clips and the show notes and things like that to to really share with me what your results are, if you feel comfortable. But that assessment of which of the four roots is triggering your emotional eating is over at
1: innerwork.me. That's innerwork.me. Okay. That's wonderful. Well, thank you again. And I, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time and I am so honored to have this, you know, special um, guest on my show because I think that this is something like you said, whether it's in healthcare, within the family, etc. cetera, there really isn't, we're not really talking about that. We, we talk about overeating, undereating, eating you know and different eating disorders etc but we're not getting to that root cause and so i really commend your work and wish you the best in in your in your program and i'm already thinking of patients that i'm planning to refer to you so i hope everybody out there has not only just learned a few or again resonated with your story which i would imagine is several and um and reach out Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else, take a screenshot of the episode and post to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us at Growing Up with Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www.growingupwithdrsarah.com slash contact. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.